welcome to Concert Pipeline. That's Jen Schippel. And that is Steve Jones. I- I'm just going to start it over. I'm not even going <laughs> to... What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I I don't know. I should have... Fireman was like, do I roll with it? This is pretty funny. You should have just rolled with it. It's like the startup the podcast, you know, like we're, Mac booting up. Okay, we're rolling with it. Jens is starting his computer and uh, uh, yeah, a, a sorry, pri- prime opportune, like this is the first time he's ever started a fucking computer here. I, I didn't even know how to do it. All of a sudden, it's like, whoa, I think it's on! <laughs> like, we started five seconds before, and you know, you know what happens when we start a recording, and you, and you know what happens when you start a computer and makes that chiming sound, right? So... Well, yeah, you know, you know how good I am when it comes to preparing for stuff, you know. I do. Yes, you're, <laughs> you're great. You're great. Okay. Uh, yeah. So that's Jens Schiphol. This is uh, first episode uh, for me back uh, since my trip to Orlando, which was uh, a lot of fun. It was. It was that, that's right. You were in Florida for what a week. I was in Florida for a week, visiting family I haven't seen in 20 years, introducing them to my daughter. It was great. Did a lot of hangout, uh, did some activities, did not get fucked by a mouse. Uh, you know, it, it was... <laughs> Which is in deep contrast to my experience when I was at Disneyland, not in Florida, but here in California, yeah. where I did get raped by Mickey Mouse <laughs> several oh, times. Oh, boy! That's the way you like it, Jens, right? Oh, boy! That's only going to cost you a thousand dollars. Bend over. Donald, get over here for some of this action. What the fuck? Oh, Goofy, come on in. Oh, of course. This is fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. That's such a financial rape, that industry. It's it's bad. It is bad. And so I didn't want to... I didn't want to touch that or get touched by that, so uh, so we stayed away from from the uh, the land of Disney. And but you were in a prime location, right? You were just outside of Orlando on the ocean. So you not only had beach, but you had some other pretty exciting, you know, places you could go explore. Cape Canaveral being one of them. And why did you not see a rocket launch? Because there was no rockets being launched. <laughs> no excuses. Come right. on, man. Make it happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that, I wish our show would happen. But we went to a, I mean, here's what we did. We went to a planetarium show, which was really cool. Uh, there were these two German guys in uh, doing a, uh, a show that they had created and uh, had prepared for, I guess, the uh, Florida, it was one of the schools in Florida, Florida Seminole College. Um, and, um, and so they, this was their public showing of it, and so Fern got to go see that. And then uh, we went to uh, Crayola Experience. We went, we went to Cocoa Beach. Yes, so we saw the ocean. We, um, we did some other things as well. We, well, yeah, went to the Orlando Science Center, and we went on a um, an airboat um, out and saw some gators, which was uh, pretty cool. And then we hung by the pool a ton and went went swimming a lot. And uh, I drank a decent amount of beer. It, uh, it was it was good times. That's cool. So you you went to go visit your dad's side of the family. I did, yes, and I haven't and seen them in literally twenty years. So why not? Were you in prison or something, or how did that happen? 
they're 3,000 miles away and I don't travel. I know some of us, you know, take uh, biweekly vacations to uh, Alaska, to uh, to Cuba, to fucking Panama, wherever in the world you want to go every other week, you know, but I'm I not a... been to Cuba. Oh, gosh. He's like, that's next week. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. Croatia. Well, I mean... Well, I mean, I, sh I guess I should ask you, have uh, what kind of correspondence have you had with that side of your family in the last 20 years? I mean, not a lot. Face um, Facebook, really. I mean, I saw, Facebook? yeah, mm -hmm. I saw my aunt and uncle actually last year. They came out and uh, visited my dad, so I had a meal with them or something, but didn't really, you know, get a full visit or anything. And um, and so, yeah, not a lot or anything. It's it has been disconnected, but I don't have a big family, and I wanted to introduce my daughter to that side of the family so she can get to know them. I think it was great. Good times were had by all. So Very nice. Cool, yes. cool, 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 cool. Yeah, it was exciting to see the photos and videos that you shared. Um, I've got to say, though, uh, I don't, I've never had a bad experience around a, an alligator, but um, there's something just about, you know, being in alligator-infested waters that just freaks me out. I don't care how fast the boat's going that I happen to be on. But, uh, I mean, was Fern... Hmm intimidated by it or no she totally cool or what no and the, and the boat driver like he he explained it i mean alligators aren't ferocious really towards humans uh i mean they don't seek out humans generally unless provoked so uh i mean what, there's one off rare cases where they might be hungry i mean you don't want to go you know have uh like go arm wrestle a, a gator in the um in florida or anything but generally they're not they're not going to try and chase you down to, to get you or anything like that. And, you know, if you're in the vicinity of them, you might be okay. You probably shouldn't chance it, though. It's rare that, that anything will happen. All right. Well, that's, uh, you know, that, uh, that's good. Yes. So today on the program, we have a band called Magic Giant, and we'll get into that in, in a moment. Really excited to have them on. I mean, uh, and for you to get to hear the interview and some of the songs from their performance uh, is great. We'll get into that in uh, just a moment. There's one other Steve story I wanted to share with you that just happened that's totally like a Steveism sort of thing. So it's bachelor night for Steve. Uh, no kids in the house, right? And so uh, after work, got the kayak, put it on top of the uh, the Subaru, took it uh, down to the river, uh, had a couple of beers in, in a bag, and uh, and went kayaking out on the river. Had a nice kayak, got home, popped a, a frozen pizza in the oven, because that's what you do when you're a bachelor, right? And uh, and then I, was, uh, I had it on my calendar even, but I forgot it until I saw it on Twitter that Arcade Fire was... Uh, they were playing their new album everything now live on app uh on itunes or, or apple music they were playing it live uh live so you can watch their show they obviously they played some of their older hits as well and so i sat on the couch streamed that to the apple tv and the, the pizza was in the oven and i don't know i guess it was the beers i, I zonked I, I fell i fell asleep uh, Probably an hour later. Good? Probably you an were hour. So blown away that you just started snoring. This is a band I really like. Like, I mean, I, I, I grew. Apparently not so much. They were. I was a big fan of them back in the day with their first album. I got to see them live in this really kind of at Great American Music Hall, which is really small, as they were blowing up, and uh, uh, and it was a great experience. I've seen them a couple of times, over, uh, and 
and they put on such a great performance. I don't know. It was the beers, I think, that just kind of zonked me out. And so I wake up, who knows, 45 minutes, an hour later, the show's still going on, and then I'm like, oh, the pizza. Run over to the oven. I mean, there wasn't oh, smoke. Shit. Yeah, there wasn't smoke or anything in the kitchen, but I pulled that thing out, and it was a rock. And it's just like... <laughs> Okay, I had a couple of, I mean, I had other food, so I'm like, at that point, do I make something else or what? I mean, but, and I had other things in the fridge, but there were meals that were planned out for the kids this weekend. Uh, and so I'm like, okay, so I'm not going to touch that. I'm like, going out to get another frozen pizza, I guess. So, <laughs> so I went to Nobville and... You're hopping back in the Subaru and going back to the store to get another frozen pizza. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Left the oven on, just... Was the kayak still on the roof? No, I, I had already taken that off when I got home, but uh, no, I, I ran back. I paid for an overpriced. I mean, it was the most expensive frozen pizza, like DiGiorno pizza I'd gotten. Like, I don't know why it was near seven dollars. They're usually like five or five fifty, but anyway, I double paid for a frozen pizza. Double paid for it. Well, you could just imagine that it was double delicious. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I imagine yourself that it was double delicious. And then I. And um, you also have to thank uh, that smoke alarms didn't go off, but. Um, you know, I, I hear that, uh, you know, the, the leaving things in major appliances for an extended period of time is nothing new to you. And in fact, there was a time where you had, uh, you know, been a little bit too excited about uh, drying your clothes for, you know, six oh, hours. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. I, I don't know what is with me leaving appliances on. Like, it, it was like eight hours. It was all night that I left. <laughs> I mean, my dryer has this great feature that... You have to open the door to, to turn, for it to turn off. Otherwise, it'll keep going forever. It's a feature uh, of the to the dryer. No, it's, it's an old a feature, not a bug. It's an old junker dryer, but it works perfectly except for that piece. So I'm not going to go out and spend hundreds of dollars for a new dryer. If this thing works, I just have to be competent enough to turn it off when I'm done drying my clothes and set a timer if I'm doing something else. <laughs> and, and one night I left <laughs> it on. That's hilarious. Did you notice an impact on your electric bill? Nah, I don't think so. I don't know. Uh, my electric bill's never really gone too crazy. So I, I, yeah, I thought about that, but I'm like, eh, I think it was okay. And none of the, there's no fire then either. Everything is fine. So the, the moral of the story is you can leave your shit on for a long time before it gets to, to fire territory, <laughs> at least in my experience. <laughs> So you don't have to worry. Uh, you don't have to be as paranoid as one might, you know, think what it would have to be when it comes to, you know, burning your house down. Harder yeah. Than, harder than one would think when appliances are concerned. Yeah, exactly. So we're, we'll be all right. I, I'm going to try not to do it again, but I don't make any promises. So. Yeah. Yeah. There, there will no, there, there will be another epic moment. I I can feel it coming. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. So. Um, so yeah, so that's that's life in uh, in Steve. Anything you want to uh, bring to the table? Any interesting yen stories for the week? Uh, not really. I did have an opportunity that was really quite exciting to uh, cork a bunch of wine. Oh, I yeah. corked. I think I corked 164 bottles of wine or something like that. Woo, doggy! And yeah. How many did you drink? Uh, one. I drank one bottle of wine, but not during the entire process of corking. I did have uh, Lagunitas IPAs uh, during the process, but I took a bottle home and then uh, enjoyed it a couple days later here. Oh, so it wasn't like one for you, one for me, one for you, one for <laughs> No, <laughs> definitely not. I got to say the whole process was really enjoyable though, but it was kind of, I don't know, it was kind of weird. You know, it's like, 
if I go to a winery and I buy a bottle of wine, I just have this image in my head of, you know, the grapes shining in the sun and, you know, um, uh, the, you know, the, 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 the sweetness of the taste and, you know, all the other flavors. And then you pour the wine in your glass and it pours in so nicely and then you drink it and it tastes so good. I never really thought about all the other crap that goes into it that you don't think about when you drink a glass of wine. Like the fact that all of the grapes go into this garbage can that a bunch of people uh-huh. step on, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then after the wine's been juiced, the actual wine, um, when it comes back out of the wine barrel, gets poured into another garbage bag-like thing that has a siphon that goes to uh, to these little... Um, uh, to these little receptacles. Yeah, little funnel, to, funnel type thing. Funnels, right. And somehow you have to get the suction going, right? So yeah. you're, actually, you're actually sucking on these things with your mouth, trying to get the suction to go so that the uh, wine will flow into the bottles, right? So next time I go buy a bottle of wine somewhere, I'm going to be wondering who the hell is sucking on the funnel. I mean, I, I don't know that that happens story. every time. I, I, I don't think that's a typical part of the process. I've, <laughs> I've, uh, I've done the same thing. I've bottled the wine. I don't remember there being any sucking on the, the wine when we, were, when we were doing it. There was the funnel part. It goes to the bottle and the corkage, and then you put the wrapper on it, and it, you, t- you have the tightening machine over the, uh, the kind of foil that, that goes on. I don't remember anyone sucking on the wine before it w- goes into the bottle. <laughs> well, there was definitely a lot of sucking happening, and um, but I was only in charge. I was not in charge of the sucking. I was just in charge of the corking, and the corking machine was hilarious. I think it was. It must have been like a hundred years old. They made out of like pure iron, and um, it was fun. It was. It was like a, a massive, like a massive paper. Um, paper cutter, like one of those old paper cutters with those huge handles. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That's what it was like. Just this old iron thing. Very cool. I'm glad I had the experience. Yeah, you got an appreciation for the wine that you drink, huh? I got an appreciation, yeah, for the wine and what um, you know goes through, you know, all the different uh, parts that um, go through the the winemaking process. Excellent, excellent. All right, so let's talk about Magic Giant here for uh, for a second, and then we'll get into the interview. Uh, Magic Giant um, has been doing a big tour. Um, I, I was originally looking at interviewing them um, at their show in San Francisco back in May. They played at um, it was I think it was a pop scene show at Rick Rickshaw Stop and. Uh, in San Francisco, but the, the the timing didn't work out, and then I noticed that they were coming to Napa, and hey, you know, playing five minutes from my house, so uh, so I'm like, okay, that makes more sense, I can do that, even though it's a day after I get back from Orlando, I'm like, let's do that, let's make it happen, right? And uh, so we made it happen, and uh, and Magic Giant, I mean, they're they're growing, they're uh, they're doing well, they are usually playing bigger venues than they played here in Napa. I think I get the sense that this was actually a pretty small show for them, but it, the room was packed and the show was sold out. Um, and um, this is my second time seeing a show at Silos in Napa. Um, and this was like no other. I mean, it was great. It was just such a, a great experience. I mean, I, I, before their, their set, um, I watched the band Soundcheck um, when, I, when I got there. And... 
Um, and the, the band is made up of uh, Austin, Zambricki, and Zhang. Austin, Zambricki, and Zhang. That's three people. I know it kind of sounded like Austin's last name was Zambricki. It is not. Um, it is uh, Biznow. So um, three, guy, three guys in the band, then they have a drummer who's uh, newish to the band and uh, isn't fully uh, indicted into the band yet. Okay, and so they they sound checked, and the sound check was really great. Austin has a wireless microphone, and even during the sound check, he was going into the proverbial crowd uh, and uh, and singing. And he went he while he was singing, and the band was still playing. He went like up like outside the venue, up up the stairs to the balcony area, and was like uh, singing up there. He didn't actually do that during the show, the actual show, but. Uh, I guess he wanted to test the limits of the wireless mic in case he went that route and wanted to do a little tour of the, the venue a little bit. So it was, it was, it was pretty cool. That's cool. That's cool. Too bad it didn't happen in the live show, but it's, it's fun to see uh, you know, members of the band kind of venture out and uh, do something surprising. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, and so he did go out in the crowd and do um, a couple songs in the crowd, um, but... Um, but yeah, not up on, not up on the balcony. And so after their sound check, um, took, went with the uh, the guys out to uh, on the patio. It was um, a windy day, and so we talked about it. The name of their new album, um, their full length album, is uh, "In the Wind," um, and uh, the interview was actually in the wind itself. So it was kind of commemorating the album a little bit. Uh, and so, without spoiling too much, um, I think we should. Uh, uh, get into the interview. Before we do, though, in true concert pipeline fashion, we're going to play a song from uh, from Magic Giant's set at Silos, and this is a song called "Let It Burn." Hey, this is Zambricky. This is Austin, and this is Zang from Magic Giant, and you're listening to Concert Pipeline.
Magic Giant, you guys are amazing. Paid them off pretty much, that. you know. Huh? They got paid off, really. But I mean, I yeah, I heard they were. But just dropped them in a field, right? Oh, really? Sort of thing. It's... Yeah. Sorry, you guys are being too loud. Dropped them in a field. Yeah, I feel like that, but I feel I... like when you sign up for that train, they might have the right to do that. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea about anything. That's all I heard. I mean, they were warned multiple, multiple times well, to. Well, someone's being. They could have like claimed. Who knows? Yeah. Or a nuisance. You can't be like, alright, be a nuisance until I can find a place. You know, you can just, if it's a safe place, I don't know. Who even know? This is like a moral question, right? But the jury you, you disagree, him, you, you know. disagree. Who knows? I mean, you have to get all I, the I facts. don't know any of the story, yeah. yeah. I, I know you're all experts in the story already or so. <laughs> pick a, pick a, pick a, you gotta pick a side, Zang. Thank you for my meal. All right. I'm getting paid off right now. Yeah, to be quiet about this story. Uh, <laughs> He's coming up. Someone just made this because we're talking to you guys all good? Yeah, we're good, man. Got a fruit bowl, so right? So. Okay, great. You're on the podcast, Smash. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I look to see if that hardware store is open right now? It's coming. I got the wing there. You already checked it's open? I love that. This is part of the podcast, huh? It, we're, just, we're just flowing and going with it. So, yeah, we'll okay, start it. So, yeah, we got Austin, Zambricki, and Zhang here uh, from Magic Giant. We're backstage at uh, Silos. Uh, so, we're just starting to talk about Napa a little bit. Um, you guys are from LA, so not too, too far, but um, have you guys been to Napa? Napa before what's your experience here I've never been to Napa this is my first time uh, in this beautiful country and I'm excited to be here Austin the country you? of Napa exactly. wine country yeah Austin don't you don't you have a uh, family in this country <laughs> they do yeah in the United States yeah did you bring uh, your passports uh... brought my passport <laughs> to enter into wine country uh -huh. it's its own country yeah uh, yeah I've great aunt who's gonna be here tonight she's 90 years old nice um, yeah she's coming tonight and uh, and she's been here. I mean, at least since the '70s, I think. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, the, the, it's called Diamond Creek. Is the is the winery? Okay. And uh, her, yeah, my great uncle who's passed away. He he snuck it over from France. I don't know how. I, I mean, this must be public. I'm sure. <laughs> You're <laughs> Who knows? Like now, what like info? <laughs> Like what info I'm privy to or something? It's just like common knowledge of my family. To pay you off, man. <laughs> so yeah, but he kind of created the the concept of. Uh, I think I hope there. I hope your music, uh, you know, fans of this podcast are interested in in wine. Uh, oh, they gotta be right. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Of like of different. There's a name for it, but of if you take one strand of vine and plant it in different environments, it tastes different and it's a different wine so okay. different grades 
different soil, different exposure to light and sun, um, those sorts of things. Same same vine. He, he has he like he invented the biology behind how plants respond. <laughs> sure, well, that's think, crazy. The concept. The this, concept. Is, this is huge Mesop right now. It was invented yeah. in Mesopotamia. <laughs> er, er, really honored to be among your presence. Just you know, your family has done great things oh. for this town, this country. Wait, you're related to God? <laughs> oh my gosh! So are you. <laughs> wow, that was really biblical. So are you? <laughs> All right. I like it. I like it. So, uh, so, so when you, did you guys get in? Did you have you had a chance to partake in any of the uh, the local wine yet? I camped out last night yeah. uh, on the vineyard in a tent. Nice, nice. Yeah. Surrounded by wine. Surrounded, by, surrounded. By <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I like it. And so, where'd you come in from? We just came from Portland. Okay. And yeah. how how was that show? Awesome. We play, yeah, we played at the Crystal Barroom, which is an yeah. old dance hall, and it had springs in the floor um, from when it was like a grand ballroom dancing. So like the whole floor moves up and down as people jump. Really cool. I like it. So your your album, your full length album that came out this year, uh, is in the wind, and we're quite literally in the wind right now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's already happening. All right. You don't have to fake it. <laughs> so besides right now, tell me a little bit about where the inspiration for the album came from. How it, I mean, I, I'm going to get deep into like how it came together because I heard so many cool things about you guys and the process, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But just yeah, we, we actually we are waiting until this moment. <laughs> this is the purpose of In the Wind was written for right, right? This, this podcast. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, please, we were actually just driving through uh, one of the locations we recorded parts of this album, Avenue of the Giants, it's just you know right up the road here. Uh, so yeah, the the whole idea of this album was that we had a summer. It's really excited. We had this summer of beautiful festivals lined up in beautiful parts of the country. And uh, instead of booking dates in between these festivals, we were like, let's record because we kind of need to record this album. Let's record in like nature, in these parts of the country that we had never been and we were excited to be in. And so we, we packed up the gear in this uh, shuttle bus that we solar bought. Yeah, yeah. We, we made it solar powered and we kind of retrofitted our studio into there. And we took it on the road, and we like stopped in these beautiful locations like Humboldt and like Avenue of the Giants, where we'd we'd like pull out a mic, put it inside of a tree. Yeah, the redwood trees. Yeah, yeah and go yeah. record in there, or like in this beautiful field, something similar to this, or like beside a, a river. Though the rivers are kind of loud, you might have to get further out. But we would record like in these strange locations because they would just either create weird, interesting takes and like uh, emotions from us, or they would just like I don't know really amazing to be able to do that kind of thing it was really fun and, and there's a lot of there's a lot of things in nature which studios you know try to recreate like what they do with reverbs you yeah. know like studios will have reverb chambers and we went to a, a tunnel in washington state that was two and a half miles long and had a super long reverb so it's kind of like we just were doing some of the research on the on how we wanted to sound kind of on the way in rather than adding the effects after yeah and you got out into the world and you used real sounds like an, an espresso machine even you guys yeah. included in there right like that is the real world yeah <laughs> people drink coffee people need coffee so we needed it in our music and we added it that did you record that what was that? Did you? It was a chair breaking, oh, okay. which is also real life. That's real. It's so all, we could use that in the recording. Any, any other natural sounds we need to include in this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
Sounds good. Uh, so, uh, uh, Zambricki, tell me about the car accident that kind of really transformed where you know your life into your, uh, where you are today. Learning the violin in like three days. Tell me. Sure. Yeah. It was it was definitely a turning point when I was when I was 12 years old. I was riding my bicycle with a group of friends, and uh, I got hit by a car, a Jeep Cherokee. Um, really? That was actually driven was being driven by a, a, a rabbi. <laughs> you hear a lawsuit. I would never sue a rabbi yes. or anyone of the cloth. So, I was, so the I rabbi had left the bar. Yeah, okay. rabbi leaves a bar. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> like a really bad joke. <laughs> All right, so here's the joke. A rabbi leaves a bar. He hits a kid on a bicycle, and uh, the kid wakes up in a hospital after. You know, after being in a coma for four days and my brain hemorrhaged, which was, it was bleeding internally. And when I came home from the hospital, my, my parents were at work. All of my friends were, were back at school, had a bandage tied around my head. I was kind of like, just basically wow. like a bumper car around my, my parents' home, just trying to like, you know, I don't even know, figure, figure out what had just happened. Do you have any photos from when you were bandaged and... Yeah. Probably, probably. Parents do, right? Like, probably. Yeah. Oh yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, so 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 my cousin had just started taking violin lessons, so there was a violin at my house, like a rental violin, and um, and I can't, you know, I and, I and I came across it in my in my stumbling around that in the house, and and picked it up and started kind of messing around with it. At first, I was I was playing like uh, video game songs, like. Like uh, Mike Tyson's Punch Out was like there was like a middle section and, and I remember that was like it just used to run in between the the levels or whatever. So I like I figured out that and then I within a couple of hours I was I could do vibrato and I could kind of like pick out melodies. So I was listening to like Beatles records and like picking out melodies and and just playing and and by the second day I remember look I remember looking at the violin and being like wow I'm like totally ready to jam right now like I could be on stage or something I was like I knew I was ready for it. And you'd never picked it up before. This is a yeah, I never picked it up before. I'd played a little guitar kind of badly. And then after after that had happened, um, it was kind of like I understood the language of music. So when I went back to the guitar, I could I, could, I also like became like more accomplished as a guitar player. And then started playing viola. Uh, and then some years later, cello, banjo, mandolin. So basically stringed instruments. I just became obsessed with, with stringed instruments and, and making music. Yeah, and never looked back. You know, I mean, we just did a sports show in uh, in DC, and the sportscaster was like, "So, what's your what's your uh, what, you, what sports did you used to play?" Uh -huh. And like, I have some stuff before the accident that I that I played. Like, I would play little league or something. But like, ever since the accident, like, I never played a like, sport again. You cut it, you cut yeah, I just never even. It wasn't even conscious. It just never. I had I had my thing. You know, it's like almost like your interest went straight to one thing. Okay. Yeah, it was like it was like the uh, I got the sports knocked right out of me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of talking about the guitar and about the the banjo. Um, I know "Set It on Fire" was actually uh, you had made that for uh, the guitar, and then kind of brought the banjo in after the fact. Yeah, for right? "Set on Fire," it started off. Um, it started off on guitar, and then when we were kind of kicking around with it, it's interesting. The the, the banjo, the tone of the banjo, it's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, this is not the right word, but thinner in some ways. So it kind of allowed the the vocal melody to kind of really stand out and then the drum beat to kind of hit. Whereas when you're strumming guitar, it's kind of like that thing where it's like a mid-rangey thing. So it kind of opened up the track a little bit um, and allowed like the focus to be on the lyrics and just kind of worked in the track. So we went with it. Yeah. Now, uh, Ben Allen uh, co-produced the album. Tell me about how you guys got set up with him, how that, uh, how that relationship came about. 
Yeah, we were, you know, we were producing a lot of the demos and we had some stuff sounding pretty good, but we really want to take it all to the next level. So we, you know, we reached out to a bunch of producers and, you know, had Skype calls with like probably 10 different guys while we were on tour, actually. So we had like all these, like we'd be huddled in a bus station, you know, Skyping uh, a producer in Seattle or something. And, um, and when we talked to Ben, it was just an immediate connection. He was really, he was really prepared and really like had ideas for all the, uh, for all the songs. Like from our first conversation, like he had kind of like really checked out the music and was already kind of engaged with it, which was really cool. It's kind of like he was ready to hit the ground running. Yeah. And um, and all the guys we talked to were super awesome. Some of them you could tell like they maybe checked us out for like two minutes or whatever. But he was like he like went through and and found the music. So it was really cool. Yeah. So how much of it was, I mean, the stuff that you had kind of already kind of ready going in and how much did, did he bring to the table for you guys? Well, there are certain songs that he had like a, like a way bigger impact, like uh, on the song Hideaway um, and on the song Celebrate. I feel like he was, he really had a part. Like uh, Songs like Sun on Fire and Jade, Window, Window and Nothing Left, we pretty much had... Um, we had kind of produced when we went in and we kind of like reapproached them and kind of reapproached some tones. We may re-recorded some, uh, some drums here and there. Um, but it was great. You know, he gave us suggestions on like, Hey, you guys should write another section on this song. So we had a few months in between when we first talked to him to when we got in there. So we, so it kind of, it really gave, like we would, um, we would, uh, we were sending him new sections like right after we talked. We were like, how about this? How about this? And he was like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was great. And then it was really cool to see the way, you know, just to see how someone else worked. We had the way that we've been doing it. And sometimes it just takes a little bit, a little bit of a break to step outside of yourself to kind of see what you're doing, you know. And that's what he offered us. It was really good. So uh, how did your process change from the self-titled EP that you guys did in 2015 to uh, to the full length? Like the preparation and uh, and working together to make that album? I mean, one big difference was we were working with a live drummer uh, for the full length, and for the EP, the three of us actually programmed pretty much the entire record, and we like we beat on some, some we beat on a house for some like stomps and stuff, um, like for other sons, but for the most part, it was so it was a little more it was a little more kind of smaller, but it was on purpose. The EP we kind of wanted it we wanted to kind of make something really small and concise. Yeah. So we went bigger, you know, bigger drums. Um, just we just you know we expanded kind of all the thoughts. I mean, we look at the EP kind of as like our demo, you know. I mean, it was like we were writing these songs and laying it down, and then it was like, all right, well, we got it, you know. So it was the beginning to a process that we're still now in, you know. Like we're still growing and expanding and experimenting. And if we were to make the record right now, I mean, we're totally happy with it. But if we were to remake the record right now, I. I, you know, we have things that we probably would, you know, it's evolved since then, since it came out. Yeah. Now you guys play a, uh, a lot of festival shows also, and uh, you're getting the microphone here, Austin. <laughs> um, yeah, you guys play a lot of festival shows, but uh, you've also said that you kind of have the ability to bring more emotion into the shows that you headline, like like tonight here. So tell me a little bit about that and the di- and uh, how you prepare differently for, for the different types of, uh, of sets that you guys do. Well, we've started doing some acoustic sets here and there um, for when, when anytime there's like an intimate setting or, or a VIP uh, experience before a show, before a headline show. Um, tonight is, is like a super intimate crowd. So I, it's like we kind of got to feel it out. 
Um, and the same with festivals. Like there are times, and sometimes we try to bring the intimacy to the festival and, you know, do a song unplugged uh, with everyone. Um, and sometimes we try to take the intimate setting and like turn it on its head and make it a dance party you wouldn't yeah. expect. So it's like, it, to it totally is based on the energy of the room and, and what we're feeling and what people are feeling that are there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw you guys sound check, and you were all over the room. You were—I I think you went up to the balcony a little bit during the sound check. You know, while you're you're singing, not looting, not missing a beat. So you, you guys are—you you have that. Yeah, I, I didn't realize you were there. <laughs> oh, I was there. The interview, That's yeah, when the, with the podcast was recording, right? Right, right. Okay, cool. We don't stop. So, <laughs> keep keep it going. So, is uh, is that something typical you'll do? You'll go up to like the balcony also? And I'll go wherever I can just yeah. to yeah check out check out what the place is about, you know. See what see where uh, someone's going to be watching from up there. So I want to know what it's like to be in their shoes a little bit. Yeah, and uh, you were sound checking uh, the song Jade also, which is, I, I mean, uh, I think this is really cool, like the fan connection that you guys have, um, and that song was kind of being developed from what I understand, and then you like, interacted with a fan whose friend Jade had died when she was 16. Yeah. So tell, tell me about that, like how do you go from that molding and kind of really bring them in like that? Yeah, I mean, we weren't expecting it. We were just writing the song <coughs> and kind of hashing it out on the road. It wasn't really finished. And w when we experienced that, we played the show, and she told us a story in tears afterwards that it reminded she thought her friend was there with her during the whole show. We, it had a different take. You know, we took it to a different level. We, we saw it in not only this form of, like, love and happiness, but also, you know, it could be about death and about mourning and about seeing people that have passed in, in a different way so it kind of took a different uh, path and became more about sort of uh, you know her, her being and, and how she interacted with her being yeah it, def it added like a level of gravity to it you know because it was untitled and then when she told us that, that she experienced that it just made us realize like you know it's kind of the song is already bigger than than we are so we had to kind of as we continue to write it kind of do her friend justice you know we wanted yeah. to do jade right you know yeah yeah for sure yeah i was just gonna say it's so nice uh being able to write about things that are vulnerable and not just happy-go-lucky all the time yeah. um because yeah people will come up to us after shows sharing um how the song has helped them and their and loss of their siblings or whomever it may be um and stuff like that. Yeah. So, how much of your writing is uh, is from re your real life experiences, and how much is f uh, fiction? Like, well, we write kind of esoterically. Yeah. So it's ne it's 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 not so um, f tangible or or um, matter of fact, but yeah, direct. But it's it's all based on experiences that we're having or witnessing yeah it's all it's all gathered from experiences yeah and and do you do you guys like write on the road still i know obviously you did that a lot for this album are you i mean you guys are really really still on the road are you is that something you continue to do or do you are you kind of living this album out right now and then gonna go back it's different for each of us i'm personally living this album out yeah. and like feel very busy there's a lot of um a lot that goes into the touring and 
you know shows in different cities and which is amazing um so i personally haven't re i mean had the or made the space to yeah to start i'm like i'm just i i really like i'm really enjoying kind of seeing where this album kind of goes to and um and even like like Zambricki was saying, the songs are have evolved even since we released the record. Cool. Okay. Uh, so back to set it on uh, uh, set set on fire a, a little bit. The music video for that is really beautiful, and you have the the lanterns that are, are floating up in the sky. Tell me where that vision came from, and how you kind of get from the the song, and uh, and how you kind of envision that song to putting it on screen. Yeah, so uh, the the vision for it, I mean, that actual thing is um, it came from this festival called Rise Festival. Yeah. And a friend of ours had a great idea. It was like, well, why don't you shoot a video there and put it to the song? Because Set Up Fire was going to be our single. Yeah. So our friend Dina told us you should shoot a video there. And um, it all kind of came together there. We're like, well, let's see if the festival can help us with the footage and we'll bring our videographers to shoot our footage. And we kind of captured the energy of that festival, which is very in tune with the, the you know, Song, the theme yeah. of Set on Fire, yeah. Like literally and figuratively right. and emotionally, it's really cool. So that was like almost the luck of events that we were able to take advantage of. Yeah. Which is really nice. Excellent, excellent. So what do you guys have planned for the, the rest of your year? You're gonna have a break and, uh, or no you, you just keep going, right? Yeah, we're going, uh, we have a, we're playing in Seattle on August 12th, and then we have uh, some more touring. This is one of the many dates you're pulling it out. Right, just Seattle, for those in Seattle. Right? For, for those in Seattle, be there August 12th. And then it's uh, Zhang's birthday, so uh, we're going to play him a birthday song. Aww. And then we're doing Way Home Music Festival, which is going to be amazing, so we're going back into Canada. Um, the record's coming out in Japan on August 2nd, and then I believe it's also coming out in Germany. We're going to Europe in September. Um, so we're looking forward to that. We're planning for that right now. And um, we're actually playing Rise Festival again in October in the Mojave Desert. So that's going to be really cool because that was kind of like one of our first festivals. Yeah. And now we've been able to kind of go around and play a bunch of other ones. So it's going to be really cool to go back to that. Yeah. yeah. So when you go back to the, uh, for the festival for the second time, I mean, how will you kind of approach it? I mean, you have that, obviously, the video there to... I mean to set the tone. I mean, you're gonna mix up the, the set a little bit. Of course, yeah. I mean, we a lot of the songs that we that we play now were not even necessarily written when the last time we played. The albums come out, um, but yeah, we want to go. I mean, we're gonna get a house with friends, and we're gonna like just be there for a couple of days, and you know, we're just gonna be really present present there. I mean, it ties into the song really well. You know, set on fire is about how it doesn't matter who's to blame. We're all in this together, and the Rise Festival is because you know everybody lights off these lanterns they write their intentions on these lanterns and they light them off at the same time it kind of has a real like beautiful togetherness quality to it so it's going to be really nice to to come back there after all the things we've seen and and just reflect on how the last couple of years have gone down excellent excellent well Thank you guys for doing this in the wind uh, interview here today to, to celebrate your, <laughs> your thank you man your album and uh, yeah good luck at the sh show tonight I'm really looking forward to it thank you so much thanks dude okay so uh, that was the interview with uh, Magic Giant and um, really 
Uh, awesome to get to hear from them. We're going to do uh, kind of another segment on the podcast. We had a, uh, well, I had a unique opportunity, which is cool. Not something we get to do on every episode, uh, but we're going to uh, actually talk about uh, MST3K. Um, and the, there's an MST3K tour uh, that is uh, touring. Right, well, it's touring right now, and uh, I got to see it last night. And we brought. Uh, I took one of our mutual friends, Tony, to the show, and so um, we're going to uh, bring Tony on the uh, on the podcast right now. Uh, so let's uh, see if he is available here. Let's uh, let's give him a call up. Okay, better answer. You better answer. Dude, answer. I know, I know seriously. It shows it's connecting, so. He's not doing anything. <laughs> Honestly. Wow. Okay. We might have to try this again here. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Okay, so apparently FaceTime isn't working, so we're going to we're all, uh, switching over to phone now. So we're going to talk to you on the uh, in the podcast via phone. That is so low tech. I know, right? <laughs> well, I was noticing that my phone was not connected up to the Wi-Fi. So try it one more time. I think I just connected it to the Wi-Fi. Try calling the other number on FaceTime. It should work. Other number? I have to find another number for you? No, no, no. Well, whatever one you were calling before should work. I don't know which one I'm calling before. This is. I, I trust the device to know you. Here, I push the FaceTime button. Here. <laughs> Can, the four one five two three. Hey, okay, you're putting your you're, you're putting your number on the podcast, really. <laughs> yes. Did, did, that, did that work? Okay. It worked. There you Yay, go. Yay! There we go. Yay! What's up, dude? Okay, so. Uh, so Yay! So Tony Bear, you're you're on the podcast here to talk about. Uh, the Mystery Science Theater 3000 show that we went to last night. We have not talked about the show since uh, since the show. I, as we left, I was like, we're not going to talk about it. We will save it for the podcast. And uh, here's the podcast. So um, so first off, uh, I mean, let's hear it from your, your perspective. Uh, you, you knew MST3K when it was MST2K, which didn't even exist, right? So... <laughs> Well, if you look it up on the interwebs, there are several people that are under the impression that Mystery Science Theater 2K actually did exist. And those those people are fucking crazy, so, yeah. <laughs> They're about as crazy as I am, probably. Very crazy, indeed, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I, I talked to my friend today who's been a fan of it for a long time, and he said, no, that's not real. It may have been mentioned in one episode uh, like that, but it was never MST2K, so carry on. <laughs> There My you have it. Once again. But you've but you've enjoyed it for a while. So how was it for you getting to see it live, uh, uh, you know, as opposed to uh, on the tube? It was fun. It was fun. You know, it would um, kind of made it a little bit for, for me too. Is the whole audience participation? I mean, not like we were participating, but we're all watching it together. So you could kind of feel the energy in the room from all the folks that were watching. It's almost like being at a concert where you kind of get this group feel from everyone that's around. But I had a great time. It was a lot of fun. Excellent. It was a lot of fun. And um, it, it was in true fashion, you know, one of the worst movies I've ever seen of all time, but that's what makes it a lot of fun. They, it made it hilarious, right? Like the timing of their jokes to the, the movie was just, cl- I mean, it was incredible. It's like they're it's like they're writing a movie during the movie, right? Because it's it is script, right. scripted, but it's uh, but it's so on point and so feels so natural 
that it's it's great. So Jens, what do you know about MST3K besides what we just told you? You know what? I know I know very little, uh, but for those of us, I'll just speak for those of us that have no idea what you guys are talking about. Um, so uh, all I know is that... Uh, By the way, Jens uh, usually speaks on behalf of the people that have no idea what we're talking about yes, on the podcast. Yes, this, this is a common theme here uh, <laughs> on the podcast. So... Um, I mean, all I remember about what you guys uh, experienced last night was essentially some random film with a bunch of cartoon characters uh, kind of, you know, talking about the film. Uh, but they're very tiny. They're very small. And you can kind of see them in a silhouetted form at the very bottom center of the screen. And that's it. I mean, I don't think I've seen more than 30 seconds of this stuff. And I've heard, you know, it's pretty funny. Uh, but um, I didn't know. I mean, honestly, didn't know whether you have to sit through an entire movie or if they just, you know, do highlights of you know a bunch of different movies where they maybe you know hang out for 15 minutes for a bunch of different films or something. Well, so, so for those of us for those of us that don't know, you know, just share where this was, what was the venue, and what was the whole experience like from beginning to end. Yes. Okay. So yeah, the, I mean, the premise of the show is it's uh, it's like a space age time, but the the there's a character. The uh, this was a show that was originally out. I don't know about 20 years ago, and um, and was brought back through a Kickstarter that did amazingly well, and they were able to create new episodes and uh, for Netflix. And to your point, yes, there are uh, several characters that sit in the like like the front row of a movie theater, and you see the silhouette of them. Them, and they crack jokes during the whole movie uh, of this horrible like they, they I mean pretty much uh, Joel Hodgman the, the creator of MST3K finds like the worst movies that he can can you stop stirring soup during the podcast Jens I'm sorry man he's stirring <laughs> soup. soup I just gotta stir soup I'm almost done just give me two more seconds okay I'm finished my goodness uh, and Right and uh, and so yes, they they crack jokes during the whole movie. Um, it's got a cult fan following, and uh, and so I had seen a couple episodes of the old show, a couple episodes of the new show. I wasn't always the biggest fan, but they watched the whole movie, and um, but they do take breaks. There's like intermissions during it, and they come back and do little skits uh, in the middle of it to break it up a little bit, um, uh, and kind of add it, add some extra humor to it. Uh, and and develop the characters a little, right? Um, that that are throughout the whole series, and um, and so I I had uh, I thought it was funny originally, but seeing it at the Warfield with twelve hundred other people uh, and ha- and a couple of beers in you, I was laughing at like every every joke. Like it was, I, I thought it was hilarious. How about you, Tony? Oh yeah, I agree. I, I, but I also think um, the guys that are putting it together and. Uh, they're pretty talented in terms of putting things together. It's they're able to resonate with the audience, you know, and come up with things, you know, references to what's going on in the movie that people resonate with, and other things that are really um, that uh, are really creative. And many times, also for the folks that don't know much about Mystery Science Theater 3K, that Steve was describing is that they'll do the dialogue for the movie on behalf of the people that are in the movie. So it's very interesting to hear their perspective about what's going on in the movie versus what's actually going on in the movie. Yeah, yeah, they'll fill moments of silence with joke commentary or do, you know, joke lines from the characters, like, you know, based on their expressions or what's on the screen. It's, right, yeah. yes. 
It's, I mean, imagine if you're sitting and, uh, I mean, with a couple of your friends and just watching this, this really horrible movie and it, and it's not one where you're like on the edge of your seat that you have to kind of really, uh, pay full attention, but you've had a couple of beers and you're, you're just cracking jokes throughout it and kind of making up voices for the characters and everything. It's, it's pretty much that, right? You're just hanging with your friends, joking about a movie, not giving a shit what's actually going on during the movie and having a great time with it. Exactly, exactly. And, of course, you know, the fact that it's a really terrible movie just added a whole ambiance of what's going on. Uh, because you can't believe kind of what's going on in the screen at the same time that these guys are cracking these jokes. And it, it's just a, a real fun experience, actually. And I was actually kind of a little bit impressed. I was going into it with an open mind and thinking... I wonder how this, you know, what the format is, because from the show that Steve was describing and his experience before, and also what you said, Jens, is that, you know, you kind of see the silhouette of the characters and kind of like flipping through the channels. That is, this is my experience. And then you, you come across MST3K and you're kind of drawn into it just from what's going on in the, the movie and then what the commentary is. But to do that at somewhere that has 200 people that is a, again kind of opening up the kimono of this experience to 1200 people as opposed to you in your living room it really became a kind of gestalt effect where it was a sum of more or the the, the end was this was more than the sum of the parts yes it was, it, it was a different dynamic for sure and i mean it, it just really escalated the humor in the in the show, right? As opposed to if you're just watching it by your, I don't know. I feel like now I can't watch it by myself because it won't be, it won't be kind of. <laughs> I need to. I just need to have 1,200 people over to my to my house right. to, to watch an episode of MST3K. <laughs> well, I'm impressed with the venue. I mean, it, they you know they didn't um, they didn't present this in a movie theater. I mean, the Warfield is a legitimate theater <laughs> oh yeah you know they, they do concerts and shit there that they do yes and um and so yeah i mean it was it was a cool environment for it um joel hodgman was there he, he opened it up he took some questions from the audience uh i mean didn't really answer any questions because the questions were about things he couldn't talk about like the next season he didn't know when it would happen but it, he's hoping it will happen and uh and what movie they were showing tonight he, it was a surprise film so he didn't answer that right so um but um but yeah the movie that we saw was egad is that what that's what it was called right Ega. Ega. yeah and, so, and I think the original was back from the 60s. It, yeah it, it absolutely uh, had a uh, 60s vibe to it and I mean, 1962. I, 1962. Good, good research there, Tony. So yeah, it's available yeah. on YouTube. Some of us were is born it? in the 60s. Is it on YouTube? You could actually just watch the movie on YouTube. You can, you can. I started watching it this morning. Oh my goodness. Okay. Oh, Jesus, why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> I know. I wanted to see what the actual movie was that they kind of took and then uh, kind of ad lib to. Now, I only watched, admittedly, the first maybe two minutes. Through the credits? Uh-huh. <laughs> the, the, the credits is longer than two minutes. I barely made it through the credits without their commentary, but still. <laughs> yeah. As you recognize, Steve, you probably recognize that that was Jaws from the Roger Moore movie, uh, the James Bond Roger Moore movie. I think, what was that? Moonraker? Um, played the played the lead character, or, or he played Ega. 
Oh, okay. Actually, I didn't connect that. So glad you glad you told us that. Richard Keel, yeah, he didn't have oh. in the gold teeth though that he usually had in the in the James Bond movie. But that was, um, you know, a good fifteen years probably before the James Bond movie came out. Oh, I, I mean, I would have thought that was after the James Bond movie because it was such a blockbuster film, right? So right, that was my assumption. <laughs> That might have been his uh, his uh, claim to fame. That might have been what launched him into stardom. Well, it definitely is now. I mean, with um, MST3K, I hope they can they can like release the uh, you know, the video from one of these uh, screenings that they do, uh, because uh, like as as an episode. I, I mean, because that would be epic. It was just it was great. That's all I can say. So if you're um, if you find yourself uh, in an area where that tour, uh, the tour is coming around, or if it comes around for another leg at some point absolutely recommended to go see it it's uh worth worth your while that's all we need you for tony so thanks for joining the podcast today we have lots of other stuff to cover so we will let you go you're you're walking in circles also so uh it's getting quite dizzy over here well absolutely well thank you for having me and um look forward to speaking to you guys soon take care all right later tony bye take care tony All right, so continuing on, uh, Jens, it's time for the last segment on the podcast today. What is that? That is music news, Steve. That is right. Okay, and... Uh, there's one story, of course, of course, of course, that we have to do. In the week and a half or so since our last episode, there was a, I mean, another big loss to the music industry. And you're living under a rock if you haven't heard it. But uh, Chester Bennington of Linkin Park uh, passed away um, by suicide. So uh, Linkin Park, I mean, they're literally the biggest band on Facebook. They are also... Uh, I mean, I mean, they're they're huge. So I mean, this is this is really big. I know that a lot of the m- music world is kind of up in arms about it, and um, and we're going to talk about it for a few minutes because there's a couple of angles I want to look at it from. Um, so first off, um, let's let's, uh, let's start with the um, the cause of death. Just starting there and working our way forward. Uh, we'll put it on the table. Um, Los Angeles County coroners confirmed that Lincoln Park uh, singer Chester Bennington uh, died of suicide by hanging at his Palos Verdes Estates home on July 20th. Uh, reports that an uh, employee discovered the 41-year-old's body Thursday morning hanging from a belt on a bedroom door inside his home. Uh, and a half-empty bottle of alcohol was found in the room and a suicide note was not found. Um, autopsy. That is so sad, man. That is so sad. Yeah, and uh, and I mean, it was really. I mean, also compounded by the fact that it was um, uh, on the birthday of uh, Stone Temple Pilot singer Scott Weiland, who he was friends with, um, who oh, wow. uh, who also killed him, you know, himself uh, by drug overdose. So, um, so yeah, so, I mean, this, their levels, obviously, uh, it's, uh, this also comes back to the fact that Chester Bennington was a victim of, uh, uh, child abuse, child sexual, sexual abuse. 
Um, and, um, and I, I mean, had his, a lot of demons that he, uh, had battled and, uh, and at the end the demons won. Um, you know, Lincoln Park says in the end, it doesn't really matter. That's their, you know, one of their big songs, but I disagree. Uh, it really does matter and it matters to a lot of people. I mean, first and foremost, his family, his six kids that he left behind. Um, but on top of that, millions and millions of fans of his music who are in mourning and heartbroken and looking looking at him as an influence. And, you know, who knows how many people this will affect and if there's other people who take their own lives because of it. So I really urge everybody not to do that, to value your life. If there are demons that you... Um, that you're battling, uh, call someone, call a friend, call the crisis prevention hotline. So there's suicide hotlines out there. Give them a call and, uh, and there is help. It's never too late to, uh, to, to, uh, to turn it around and make a, a difference. Um, I want to go from that aspect. Uh, there's another aspect I want to go from, but first I'll let you come in and say what your thoughts are. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people probably just can't uh, understand why somebody would, you know, do something like that. Um, you know, in some situations, you know, suicide seems planned. Sometimes it's like, you know, it seems spontaneous. And this particular situation, since he chose that special date, I really felt like, um, you know, the guy had uh, thought about it and kind of planned it out. Um you know, and chose that particular uh, time to, you know, I don't know, to be closer to his friend or whatever his thinking was, um, you know, to take his own life. Um, and just like you said, you know, he obviously um, had some huge demons uh, that he had to battle, just like so many other people do, um, that take their lives. Yeah. Um, and it's if you've never been in that situation, it's really, really hard to kind of understand why anybody would, would go to that kind of length and abandon their loved ones and their friends and, and all of that stuff. Um, it's, it's crazy. I just hope that, I just hope that, you know, his fans and his family and his, his kids and stuff can someday, you know, understand the pain that he went through and come to some understanding as to, you know, why he chose that path. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's two, uh, there's actually two other pieces I wanted to include in the Chester talk. I know that's a big part of our music news. And, um, and honestly, I've seen Lincoln Park live, uh, a, a couple of times. Um, and, um, uh, I had the opportunity to talk to Chester briefly once in a phone media conference. I asked him like one question that was, you know, I mean, of no big impact to him or really me other than, you know, I, I mean, getting to talk to a rock star who's who's really i mean he's incredibly infamous you know uh for his impact right i mean so so that was neat i mean but it was it wasn't a full interview i didn't i've never really met him i saw him backstage at one of his shows where i had interviews with a couple of other bands once you know but um but i never had the opportunity to actually meet him or anything but um there's so the two other pieces that I wanted to kind of follow up on. Um, one is Lincoln Park released an open letter to Ch Chester Bennington. Um, and uh, so he, I want to kind of share that letter. And then I want to share uh, another perspective as well um, to kind of wind out the Chester talk. Um, so here's the letter, their statement. Dear Chester, 
Our hearts are broken. The shockwaves of grief and denial are still sweeping through our family as we come to grips with what has happened. You touched so many lives, maybe even more than you realized. In the past few days, we've seen an outpouring of love and support, both public and private, uh, from around the world. Uh, Talinda and the family appreciate it and want the world to know that you were the best husband, son, and father. The family will never be whole without you. Ta uh, talking with you about the years ahead together, your excitement was infectious. Your absence leaves a void that can never be filled. Uh, a boisterous, funny, uh, ambitious, creative, kind, generous voice in the room is missing. We're trying to remind ourselves that the demons who took you away from us were always part of the deal. After all, it was the way you sang about those demons that made everyone fall in love with you in the first place. You fearlessly put them on display, and in doing so, brought us together and taught us to be more human. You had the biggest heart and managed to wear it on your sleeve. Our love for making and performing music is inextinguishable. While we don't know what uh, our path, the path, what path uh, our future may take, uh, we know that each of our lives is made better by you. Thank you for that gift. We love you and miss you so much. Until we see you again, LP. So, wow, what an honor! I know. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's obviously changing their lives completely as well. I mean, I. You know, they're financially they'll be fine, of course, right? But it's but they're but they lost their friend, and again, I mean, six kids without a dad. I just feel like it's a kind. Of, I mean, it's it's such a cop out way to go when you have people, these people that you're responsible for, who need you. I mean, in their life, right? Like that, they're not going to get over that. You know, uh, no amount of money can fix that. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things you just kind of have to hope that people won't take. Uh, personally in the sense that they won't, you know, blame themselves for, you know, for, for the death. Yeah. And it's, it's awful. I mean, um, you know, I guess one of the, one of the good things, you know, if you can look at having demons in your life as being a positive thing is that, you know, there's so many people that have these uh, experiences that they just can't get rid of that just, you know, are with them day after day after day or just kind of come and go as they please, but they're able to, to take this and form it into some kind of art, you know, and Lincoln Park did that beautifully. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so there's one post, uh, from someone that I follow on Instagram, um, and I used to be friends with, um, and that is Juliet Lewis, um, the actress. Um, she had performed with Chester Bennington. She has a rock band, and uh, and so she had performed as part of this big rock show with a bunch of other artists like Sugar Ray and uh, and uh, other other and other people. You know, a bunch of rock stars are there. And Chester Bennington played one night in their the, the super group that they have. And she, so she shared a picture of him um, on her Instagram and said, "Yes, that's Chester B. Upper Left." Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting him that night and playing rock and roll. He seemed friendly, open, talked about his kids, and was a phenomenal singer. I've been having a hard time processing and trying to put into words the impact of another senseless death uh, of one of our peers. The point is, I understand that kind of pain. I understand the thought patterns that lead one to take their own life. I think lots of people do. It made me want to validate all the people who uh, have felt like quitting and that, uh, like that and don't. Uh, uh, who don't get uh, tributes or recognition and you've fought and chosen to live uh, I want to validate you for remaining for not uh, causing indescribable grief and pain to the ones who are left living without you thank God you are here because I can 
uh, tell you uh, just the people in this uh, pick alone, I don't think they'd mind me saying, have survived and made a choice not to let it destroy on any given day. Poverty, murder, suicide, cancer, drug addiction, lawsuits, ridicule, childhood trauma, uh, and enormous success that don't uh, didn't change a damn thing uh, internally. I know friends of mine who have terminal cancer, uh, degenerative diseases, and are fighting to live another day to hold their children to go to Trader Joe's and fill the dog bowl one more time to sit in traffic, to laugh at nothing with a, a friend, to have a silly argument with their idiosyncratic uh, mom, to watch butterflies go, uh, to go on hikes, to mull over life's questions, to breathe deep without coughing. There are people who uh, move through crippling fear and sorrow and pain. They come to know uh, this will pass. They move through it to embrace once again the small joys uh, and not uh, so small joys and triumphs of life. And those people I want to give a big warm hug to and a big giant round of applause. You uh, know who you are because I'm talking to you. Uh, we are one in the same. And thank you for choosing life and living and seeking and trying. I recognize you. All my love. Keep on fighting that good fight. And of course, we say a prayer for the ones who went. Big kiss to the sky with feet on the ground. Wow, that's well written. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, a lot of her posts are, you know, kind of hokey and about her dog and, uh, you know, and like silly pictures. But um, but I, I read that and I took a screenshot of it because I wanted to bring it to the podcast. And just, I mean, it put into words kind of how I feel uh, about it also because I – you know, I mean, I I feel it's a cop out, right, to do that. Obviously, I haven't had to battle those demons myself, um, so I I can't relate directly to what he's going through. But I can I can say that there is always another answer, and there is always support, um, and and people there who care and will do what anything that's needed to help you get past whatever you're you're battling, and that there are people who are in similar situations, like Juliet's saying, and don't take that low road they take that higher the high road and push on and are there not just for themselves but for their family and the other people that they would otherwise leave behind and to that you know big kudos to them absolutely so yeah i mean when we talk about people that um we, we've had you know a lot of people uh pass away to suicide recently and yeah and there's so many different ways you can look at it like what you were saying before and i think one thing that we can you know, think about is, you know, we can really value the, the time that, um, you know, these people were able to stay with us and, um, you know, one can consider how many times they thought about suicide in the past or maybe attempted suicide in the past and failed or something. And, hey, if you can make it uh, with demons like this to, you know, a particular age um, where you've had, you know, a nice life and you've really contributed um, then that's, you know, valuable right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So hearts go out to Chester, uh, and his family, um, in this really difficult time. Um, let's move on. Let's have, uh, some lighter stories, uh, for the rest of the music news, shall we? We'll, uh, we'll keep well, it. Well, I, I think that's probably pretty easy. You know, we can start with yeah. the most depressing story right. <laughs> that, uh, you know, shook the world, uh, in the last, uh, two weeks. Um, and then everything after that is going to be um, more rosy. And speaking of rosy, can I just uh, segue into our Guns and Roses, um, uh, Guns and Roses news? I like it. Yes, uh, I like that segue. Go ahead, hit us. 
Yeah, that was kind of cheesy. But anyway, um, Guns N' Roses, I had the privilege of uh, seeing this band at AT&T Park recently in San Francisco. And boy, what a great experience that was. Um, and I'm delighted to hear that the band is talking about making a new album. In fact, they're quite excited about it. Have you heard about this, Steve? I mean, I did send you the article, so briefly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right, fine, okay. Um, anyway, super, super exciting stuff. So, story goes like this. Guns N' Roses' longtime guitarist, Richard, says that everyone in the band is excited about working on their first new album to feature their reunited lineup of Axel, Slash, you heard that right, Axel, Slash, and Duff. Uh, the, the reunited band... Um, has already enjoyed massive success in their not-in-this-lifetime tour. And Fortas spoke with the St. Louis Post-Dispatch about the trek and the band's recording plans, among um, other topics. So he says, he says this uh, of the reunion tour. It's bigger than anything I've ever experienced. Doing multiple nights at a stadium is a mind... Asterix, 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 asterix. It's Fuck, a mind fight. Okay, it's good. A Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to translate. Uh -huh. Okay. I thought that was someone's password, but no, it's perfect. Oh, my okay. God. <laughs> so it's hard to get your head around that level of craziness, right? Fans are just so rabid for it. Yes. Uh, they, re they report that the uh, guitarist also said the following about the band's new album plans. Everyone is excited about it. They're... Um, there's really a magical thing now uh, with the entire band. It feels like a new band. It feels like the best version since uh, I've joined, and it's the most fun for me. There's so much excitement going around it. So this is great to hear. I mean, there's no really more, I don't see any more detailed news about this, but it's nice to see that the band is re-energized, and it'll be exciting to, to, to hear um, how that energy translates into the new album. Yeah, yeah, that sounds uh, sounds really cool. I'll, gi I'll give it a listen, you know. I will not be going to their show. It's just too steep for my blood. Uh, I, I mean, it would be great to see, but I'm just it's just not going to happen. They are coming back to Oakland, I believe, on for like the second leg of the uh, Not In This Lifetime tour. Uh, the first round was not a big enough cash grab. Apparently, they need some more money. And, <laughs> and Well, it's not about the money, Steve. You know, it's about just touching every one of their fans, giving the fans the opportunity to give them more money, I mean, to experience, yes, uh -huh. you know, the, the the reunited band from their from their youth, or if they're new fans, you know, could, to get the, the the experience for the first time. But yes, I think they are coming to Oracle in Oakland, and I thought I heard something about Sacramento too. I don't know. I think tickets went on sale for that already, so uh, you can get them while they're hot, right? Um, yeah. So um, Blink 182's Mark Hoppus is going to be selling all the small things in air quotes for kids. So um, uh, Blink-182 fans will have the opportunity to own pieces of Blink-182 history and help children. Uh, Mark Hoppus and his wife, Sky met on the set of the music video for Blink, uh, Blink's All the Small Things. Now the couple are auctioning off uh, many of the small things, and big things as well, from uh, their Beverly Hills home, uh, with proceeds going to the Children's Hospital in Los Angeles. 
while their home is undergoing renovations, the Hoppus family is selling pieces that will no longer fit with the new design. Items ranging from watches, vases, and chandeliers to a rare, hi, my name is Mark, uh, skate deck. Uh, so uh, you, if you want the, you know, any of those unique blink items, uh, they will be up for auction really soon. Um, I don't know, have an exact time on that. Uh, Premier Estate Sale Marketplace is what you can kind of look it up. It's ebth.com. Um, and there's, yeah, lots of, okay, yeah, I'm seeing lots of unique items. Some of it are in kind of the, it looks like they're in the final bid stage. That that skate deck is going for $425. Uh, a uh, watch with two-tone bracelet, a Hewer Professional 1500 uh, watch is going for $500. Uh, there's, a there's a, there's a lot of stuff on here. Um, uh, uh, autograph Blink-182 album, hoodie, buttons, and wristband is going for $425. Holy crap. Uh, <laughs> like, okay. Uh, let me see what I got in my wallet. Maybe uh, I'll pick one of those up. Right. I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. Chandelier is going for $525. Uh, is a dress going for 111 uh pinstripe jacket $525 so in other news uh i mean i don't want to talk out of a t- t- uh, turn but um i might have the opportunity to hang with mark hoppus maybe interview him we'll see uh i have a friend who's friends with him and may and they're going to be playing in sacramento i think in september uh so I don't know. Yeah, that's that's all hearsay, so don't take any of that. But uh, but that would be really cool to be able to do that. And there's a sliver of a chance that Blink-182 will be on the podcast. So All the small things. Do, 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 do. Okay. Uh, you done with that story? I am. Hit, hit us with your next uh, story. Was that a good cover? That, 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 was, I mean, that was incredible. You knew, like, four words of the song. That was great. Yeah. It's four more yeah, than, I, than usual. So I, I practiced four more than usual, right? You got to give me credit where credit's due. I practiced for a good uh, 20 minutes, you know, to make sure I remember those four words. You did great. Correct order. All right. I got some Greg Allman uh, news. Hit us. So uh, Greg Allman, the Greg Allman song, My Only True Friend, goes online. Woohoo! Ooh. Okay, I know I know a lot of uh, Greg Allman songs, although I can't remember any at the moment. I would sing one, uh, but um, you know, I you don't even know the four words, or <laughs> no, I don't even know one word. Uh, anyway, Greg's uh, posthumous Southern Blood album has been set for release on September the eighth. The haunting first single, "My Only True Friend," almost feels like a warning from the late rocker who died of health issues in May, this mm. past May. So um, he's another one of the greats who uh, we just lost recently. But now I'm getting depressed yeah. again. Okay. I know, right? So, um, <laughs> so you and I both know this river will surely flow to an end. Keep me in your heart. Keep me, um, sorry, keep me in your heart. Keep your soul on the mend, Almond sings. Mm. I hope you're haunted by the music of my soul when I'm gone. Please don't fly away and find you a new love. I can't face living this life alone. I can't bear to think this is the end. But you and I both know the road is my only true friend. 
Oh, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a, a way to go. It's like you know, going out on top, kind of like Bowie style, I think, right? Like, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's really cool. It's it's weird how kind of life imitates art a little bit uh, there, and uh, in in his you know last songs and kind of he's, he's speaking through it a little bit so that's that's really cool um hope his new album is yeah. really good i um i don't have a lot of else to say about that article but I, um but i know you have one other story and i don't want to end on your story because <laughs> so you know definitely do not end on so, my story so you do your other story we'll get the steve rant out for a, a second and then uh and then i have a more upbeat story to end on and we'll wind this podcast out how's that Okay, sounds good. All right, so um, I just want to put a disclaimer out there. Um, I have never been a Justin Bieber fan, and I do realize on this podcast I do talk quite a bit about Justin Bieber. You are the Bieber reporter of the podcast. I don't know why that is. I literally i I would have never known about this guy had it been not all the crap you know that that is being released about him. Uh, in the news. I mean, I do realize he gets a bad rap and he probably gets, gets some more credit than he deserves. But when stories like this one that I'm about to present to you come out, I don't know, maybe he just really is a piece of shit. I, so. I would lean towards that, yeah. <laughs> so, um, apparently Bieber fans are called Bleavers. Believers. Oh my so, god. They're believers. Yes, never... So I must say, sorry, believers. Believers. Oh, they're believers. Oh my god. Like believers. Yeah, okay, go like ahead. Bieber and Believer put together is Believers. Yeah, I just now figured that out. You're doing great, Jens. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is how much I care about Justin Bieber. Uh, so, sorry, Believers. Believers. Sorry, Believers. Justin Bieber has abruptly canceled the rest of his tour. Not just one show, not just maybe a week or a month because maybe he's not feeling well, but the entire fucking rest of his tour has been canceled. Oh my God. So we better have a good reason for this, right? He's got tons of fans all the way around the world that genuinely like his music and have been super excited about uh, seeing one of his upcoming performances, but sorry, uh, there's no Bieber love for you. So, uh, Bieber has spent the last 18 months on the road promoting his album, Purpose. But after more than 150 shows on six continents, Bieber abruptly announced today that he's canceling the last leg of the tour. There were more than a dozen dates left, okay? A dozen. More than a dozen. So that's probably like, what, 13? Uh, Left across North America and East Asia, including high-profile stops at the MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. I've been in New Jersey once, and I'm never going back there. The Rose Bowl Stadium in Pasadena. I saw uh, U2 there. And you know who came out and played with U2? Uh, Slash. Slash. There you go. Okay. Slash. Or maybe it was, uh, I don't know, so, I know he was there. So who cares where he's playing, where he's playing, because fuck that. You know, he's not playing there anymore. So tell us what, right. what the excuse was. Well, uh, let's see. The singer was barred last week from performing in China due to his bad behavior. I don't know what that means, but um, he was performed from performing in China. He was barred from performing in China uh, due to bad behavior. So I don't know if that means like public masturbation or what that means. So the pop megastars 
team posted a message on his website this afternoon stating that this cancellation was due to unforeseen circumstances. But the tour has already been highly lucrative. As of April, it had grossed about $200 million, according to Billboard magazine. That's what I got, man. I got nothing more than that other than unforeseen circumstances. Okay, but so it so it says that um, uh, a TMZ reporter caught up with Bieber in a parking lot, and the uh, performer who started walking assured the paparazzi everything's fine. When asked about his future plans, Bieber said, "Just resting and getting some relaxation. We're gonna ride some bikes." <laughs> that's awesome. That's what he, that's what he ride said. Ride some bikes. So sorry, uh, fans, but apparently Justin uh, needs to spend some quality time with his bike. Right. Um, I know you spent a lot of money, and you've been looking forward to you know seeing your fan Justin, but in the end, he just doesn't really give a shit about you. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's it's ridiculous how much credit. I mean, I'm not going to get it political, but. People give people some too much credit for you know, and uh, John Mayer came to Bieber's defense, and uh, he he tweeted a couple of tweets about it. He said, "When someone pulls remaining dates of a tour, it means they would have done real damage to themselves if they kept going. We've lost so many great artists lately. I give Justin two thumbs up emojis uh, for realizing it was time to call it. You should too. You should call it." Like, uh, or you should give him two thumb thumb up emojis because I, I think. Well, I mean, I, I see that perspective, but then you know his cancellation shouldn't be due to unforeseen circumstances. Yeah. They should say, okay, you know, um, he's at risk of losing his voice or losing his hearing it's, or it's something dude's... like that. Not him. He'd rather ride bikes. You know, it's the dude's job ultimately, right? I, I get it. okay if it's if it's between that and suicide, uh, you know, okay, fine, right? But. But it's his job to to do the dates that he's committed to. People have bought tickets. People have planned trips ar- around it. People have wasted a you know unforeseen amount of money. You know it's a ridiculous amount of money to to go to a concert, right? And um, and canceling those dates. I mean, it's really expensive uh, to to pull out like that. And uh, and you know there. It's very rare that it's ever done without a real reason, and it sounds like right now there's not a great reason for it. Um, so, I was going to say it's a lot more expensive not to pull out. Anyway, uh-huh. so <laughs> wow, again, I'll just leave that one there. <laughs> so anyway, uh, what I was going to say though um, is, I mean, he did play 150 shows. That's a lot. That's uh-huh. a lot of shows. So I'm just saying that, you know, um, if there are some legitimate health issues, then fine, yeah, pull out and just give your fans um, some rationale that they can accept about, you know, why they're being abandoned by their... Uh, It's it's just a shitty thing to do anyway. Yeah, it's crappy. um, Yeah, I, I mean, I've heard from artists that really hate canceling shows and do everything to make it not happen and when it does have to happen feel really crappy about it you know because of how it affects their people i don't he just doesn't i don't think he cares about how what he does affects people and that's what that comes down to so let's end uh on a better uh story and a more interesting story and that is please i can't wait and that is um someone um rising from the dead to uh perform some more concerts um, what am I talking about? Ronnie James Dio is uh, a hologram concert tour is announced. Uh, so, 
uh, a hologram of the late Ronnie James Dio will be featured in an upcoming world concert tour from the Metal Engine's former bandmates billed as Dio Returns. Uh, the, D- the hologram was created by Illusion uh, with the full support of Dio's widow and manager, Wendy. Uh, and uh, it will be seen delivering the singer's actual live vocal recordings mixed with music performed by Dio Disciples, a group for, uh, of former collaborators, including um, some of his former band members. Um, and, uh, and so there's some of those band members are going to be, I guess, performing with the hologram um, on select dates. Uh, the hologram will perform for the majority of the show, delivering an alternating set list that will feature songs such as Rainbow in the Dark, We Rock, Neon Lights, King of Rock and Roll, Man on the Silver Mountain. There's a man on the silver mountain. Yeah. Uh, heaven, heaven and Hell. Holy Diver! Uh, and, and more. Um, and following its debut at last year's Wack Open Air Festival in Germany, the Hologram of the Late Rocker saw its U.S. debut, um, I guess recently, uh, in, in February. Uh, so it's going to play more than 80 shows around the globe, uh, starting in Europe, uh, and will be coming to the U.S. in spring of 2018. So you have that to look forward to. If you're a Dio fan, you can see him rise once more. Yeah, sweet. That's some pretty exciting stuff. I experienced that once at, um, hmm, I think it was in Vegas for the Michael Jackson. Did you? I didn't. I don't know if I knew thing. that. Yeah. Uh, God, when was that? I don't remember when that was. It was the Circus Soleil or just a Michael Jackson show? No, it was just Michael. J- I don't remember what it was. But anyway, there was a hologram of Michael Jackson on stage that was so lifelike. It was insane. And the crowd just went crazy. I was like, it was unbelievable. It was just like, how, how are they able to make it? make the hologram so accurate and so lifelike it was it's yeah it's it really, was crazy it was mind-blowing yeah it seems really cool i haven't had the opportunity to see it myself but i'd, I'd love to I, I mean there is a limit to the price i'll pay for it so i'm not going to pay as much as i would pay to see dio to see a hologram play dio's song so but i am in, intrigued by it and and would like to check it out um yeah had a chance to see him live once and really a, a cool performer um it was great great, great that i had that opportunity to see him um okay that is our show for today uh we're gonna play out with one more song one song we're gonna end on a you know really positive note uh here on concert pipeline first let's talk about uh what we have coming up on the podcast jens is gonna seamlessly tell you how to get a hold of us here on concert pipeline Oh, I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that. Um, like every time we do one of these podcasts, I'm always hoping that you're not going to have. And yet I do it every how time. How to get a hold of us? Because every single time I do this, I, I'm afraid I'm going to, you know, um, forget one of our channels or you know, uh, lead people astray into some link uh, URL that we don't, you know, actually live on. But yes, there are a few ways people can get a hold of us. Uh, Facebook, of course. At uh, Concert Pipeline. Pod? Pod. <laughs> I was just about to say that. Yeah, on, uh, Facebook. Uh, so Concert Pipeline Pod. Check us out. Um, we are on uh, YouTube. Concert Pipeline. We are on um, Twitter. At Concert Pipeline. We are on Instagram. Concert Pipeline. Then uh, that's pretty much it. Sometimes Periscope. 
at Concert Periscope. Break. I was going to mention that, but when's the last time we did Periscope? I don't know. I need to do it again. Uh, uh, here, I'll, I'll try and do it in the coming shows that we have coming up, which is a segue for me to tell you about what we have coming up on the show. How about that? So, um, yeah, next week uh, I will be covering Taking Back Sunday at Ace of Spades in Sacramento. Uh, they are playing with Modern Chemistry. Uh, Modern Chemistry is opening, and I will most definitely have an interview with Modern Chemistry. It's still on the table to see whether I will get Taking Back Sunday, but it but it's in talks to, to happen, so, uh, so I'm working on confirming that up, but I'll either way be at the show. Looking forward to that. Um, so that's coming up next time on Concert Pipeline, and maybe the time after if I get Taking Back Sunday. We'll see. Um, the, the following week, there's... Some there's a bunch of shows that might happen. A band called Nervous Lovers, NVRS, LVRS, uh, Nervous Lovers. They're playing at Starline Social Club. Uh, I believe that's in Sacramento. No, no, not Sacramento. That, that, that is in um, Oakland, actually, um, on Tuesday the eighth. That might happen. Uh, Petite Biscuit. Uh, that's a famous 17-year-old DJ might be on the program. These are maybes. Uh, a definite that's definitely happening, happening. Friday the 11th, um, Huey Lewis uh, and the News. Uh, not having an interview with them, but, uh, but I'm going to be covering that, uh, that show. Uh, Greg Kinn, who was on the program, uh, is opening the show. And so uh, they were kind enough to give me some reviewer tickets for that, for that show. So I will be... That's awesome. I remember Greg. Yeah, it's a great conversation, right? That was that was a cool one. You yeah. did that. You did that one. I right? did. That was fantastic. Yeah. So he's opening for Huey Lewis, and um, and so we'll we'll uh, cover that show. Report. Um, report. I'll report back on that. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, uh, friend Jay, who lives like five minutes from there. So. Um, so that's, that's what's coming up uh, around the corner on Concert Pipeline. Um, lots of new stuff, so check us out at all the sources. Yen said, um, we're going to wind us out with one more song um, uh, here from Magic Giant. Uh, for, uh, this is a song called Let's Start Again. Uh, for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, that's Yen Shippel. And that is Steve Jones. Here it is. Let's start again. Let's start again.